Okay, good morning, good afternoon, and good evening, and welcome to the Mental Health Comedy Podcast. I'm Ed Krasnick. I don't know who I am. My partner's Jennifer Kalari is coming up shortly. And this is a show where we practice mental health skills with people in entertainment. Comedians, writers, artists, actors, authors, directors, people from all over the world. We practice, we talk about mental health, but we also practice it because mental health is a practice. It's the last time I'm going to say it, but it is it's such an ongoing thing and it's such a practice. And it starts with awareness, being aware of what you think and feel and how you relate to those things, not to react to them, but how you relate to them. And notice how I lift my voice when I say react, I go high. When we go low, they go high. Or when I go high, they go low. Something like that. On today's show, we have a terrific guest who is a regular on Wait, Wait, Don't Tell Me. You can hear him there all the time, but you can hear him every day now, Monday through Friday, 4 to 7 p.m. Pacific time on KBLA radio, kbla.com, and that's Alonzo Bowden. Alonzo's going to join us shortly. We're going to talk about a lot of different things, issues of the day with him. I want to talk today, I'm going to talk to Jennifer in just a minute. I'm going to talk about identity theft because my identity has never been working for me, so I'm anxious to give it away. We're going to talk about identity theft and the stress that comes from the way we have to protect ourselves now. It's an odd thing to say, but I just went through something again, and it's so amazing what happens to you because it's the ultimate in fight or flight when you look at your bank account and half of the money is gone. It's the ultimate. These kinds of things that happen to us every day, we all deal with in some way now. Maybe this show can be sponsored by LifeLock. LifeLock, if you're listening, Let's lock it up. We'll talk about that. Now, we always like to welcome people no matter what emotional state they're in. So here now are emotional shout outs. If you're not worried about identity fraud because your identity hasn't been working out and you'd like a new one, just like me, welcome. If because of COVID you find yourself doing an emotional hokey pokey before making plans with others, welcome. If you've started singing the song in the good old summertime because you'd rather enjoy that summertime than this one, welcome. If you need a teletherapy session because you're unable to make a choice about what to watch on Netflix, welcome. If your mood swings are bigger than the rides at Disneyland, welcome. And if you've been doing Zoom pantsless, welcome. And if you're beating yourself up even now, there's always a place for you right here on the Mental Health Comedy Podcast. Today's show is brought to you by Pfizer Body Spray. Pfizer Body Spray is the way to protect yourself while smelling delicious. Now available in Don't Talk to Me Root Beer, Incensed and Peppermints, and Viagra Vanilla. Pfizer Body Spray, total protection that makes S-C-E-N-T-S sense. Now I'd like to bring in the high priestess of the hippocampus, (laughs) the lord of the limbic system, the overlord of oxytocin, (laughs) Jennifer Kalari. And Jennifer, I'm really serious about this. I want to talk about what happens to people when they have uh, everything from losing your keys to your phone to what happens when you find half your bank account is gone. Did that happen to you? Not half my bank account is up, but I have had an array of fraudulent activity that you would think I was the president of the United States. <laughs> you would think that I'm like a really important person. 
Apparently, thieves think that I'm the king because I've had extortion. There's so many sophisticated ways that they try and steal steal your money now. Yeah, yeah. There's one that says, oh, you have a charge. It's an annual charge. It's coming out in 48 hours. And then they give you a number to call if you want the charge to be reversed. And then while you're reversing the charge with this overseas line and this customer's fake customer service account, they try to get your bank information. Wow. So that's sophisticated. Yeah. It's, and it's getting more and more sophisticated. And a lot of us kind of, are, our suspicion is up with a lot of these things, but there's a lot of people, especially the elderly, that they just think it's all real when you get those convers, you know, you get those calls about your, I don't know, you owe money to the IRS and you're going to get arrested. I mean, it's terrifying. How do you keep your wits about you? And what's the self-care that goes in line with that? I'm talking about the stuff that comes up, the inconveniences and the mm-hmm. craziness that comes up in everyday life. I lost my phone. Mm-hmm. Okay. My credit cards are gone. I don't know where they are. My keys. I can't find my car keys. All the way up to somebody stole my identity. So this is a big conversation. So, I mean, listen, the bigger part, which is what we were talking about right at the beginning with these people with these sophisticated scams, I always think to myself, like, what is going on with those people? What must their lives be like? What must they be feeling in order to have a terrible job like that? Like, where you're just deceiving people all day. So I always get this sort of sad pang of like, oh, like what kind of person does that job and what's going on in their lives? So that's the first part. And then there's like two different things what you're asking, because the first one is when you lose your phone or you lose your credit card. I mean, obviously it's, you know, your stomach drops, it's, you know, especially your phone. But I think the the big thing with stuff like that is to realize that those things are all, even your phone, it's all replaceable. It's not life or death. It feels like it when you can't find your phone. And if you have a teenage daughter and they can't find your phone, oh boy, that is something else. But we've talked about before the standing in the canoe, like taking a second, registering that you're panicking and then asking yourself, is this real? Is this really life or death? And it's not. Credit cards are pretty good when you call them and you cancel them. You know, your phone you can replace. It's being able to inhibit and organize and prioritize what is an actual life or death emergency and what's just something urgent. And it's very important that your body know the difference. But in order for that, your brain has to know the difference. So there's there's some kind of speaking to it. There's like we always talk about, there's some kind of, it's a two-way relationship. It's like, here comes panic. Okay. Here's anxiety. Okay, anxiety. What are you telling me? Okay. Is it true? Okay. Can I take care of myself? Am I okay? Yeah. Is it dangerous? Yeah. That's really important. That question, is this dangerous? Is this life-threatening? Is something going to jump out and attack me? And if the answer is no, then take a breath because you don't need your fight or flight response in that moment. This just happened to me last week. I was shopping at Target and they have this new little slot in the cart where you can put your phone. First of all, don't do that. I shopped and I paid and I'm getting into the car and I'm thinking like how well the day is going and how everything's just kind of just a lovely day. I'm feeling very lucky and very happy. Put my stuff away in the car and this man walks by right at the right second and says, hey, I'll take that cart so you don't have to take it back. And I'm like, oh, no problem. And off he goes with my cart. And I realize as I'm driving home, I left my phone in that little section of the cart. Ah. And I did exactly what I talked about. I panicked and I'm like, wait. This is not an emergency. This is not life-threatening. I cannot be hurt. I can't be maimed. I'm not going to end up in the hospital. It's just a phone. 
So I, I did that thing where I dropped my tongue in the bottom of my mouth and I let my whole body, especially the core part of your body, just relax. I breathed. I envisioned myself the entire time getting the phone back, calmly drove back to Target. I get in there, I'm asking everybody if they've, you know, if somebody's returned a phone. No, nope, no, nope, nobody's returned a phone. I mean, I'm starting to panic again, but I do that whole series of things again. And then I end up going back to customer service and the woman gave me her phone and said, well, call your phone. I don't know why I didn't think of that. So I called my phone. The guy answers, hey, yeah, I'm shopping around in Target. I've got your phone. I can see you. I'm down the aisle. <laughs> and I got my phone back and I said, oh my God, can I buy your entire card? He's like, no, not at all. I would want someone to do that for me. And I literally left with like restored faith in humanity. That whole thing really is, it's an illusion. It's not a real thing. The whole time it was not life-threatening. So it's really being able to hold on to yourself in those moments and not create an emergency where there isn't one. And even if the guy went out, took off with my phone, okay, so they wiped the phone clean and he ended up with money he didn't have before and all my life will go on the way it did before. And it's sort of putting everything in this perspective. And the more you practice that kind of thing, talking to your thoughts and emotions, responding to them, the more you'll be able to do that when those other things happen, right? Exactly. And, and no matter how you slice it, losing your phone is not an emergency. It's an inconvenience. There's a difference between an inconvenience and, a, and an actual emergency. Mm-hmm. Although the emergency broadcast system goes off in my head and I have that <laughs> beeping. My ringtone is the emergency broadcast system. Is that a good idea? And I want to very quickly go back to something. You talked last week about how you can actually practice responding to feelings and thoughts, uh, challenging feelings and thoughts while you're watching a movie. Mm-hmm. Can yes. you speak about that again? Because I think it's so interesting. Yeah, or a TV I, show, not just a movie. Anything. Or even you know, overhearing a conversation. It's an opportunity to be in a situation and practice relaxing and practice the sort of opposite of the anxiety response. I was talking to a, a little girl, one of my clients today, and I, we, we came up with the image of like a, a hot air balloon just gently landing. It's this sense of things just relaxing and dropping. And so, yeah, you watch a movie and just when you feel there's an intense part or something scary is happening, your heart's racing, you actually take that moment. You're like, hmm, okay, I'm going to practice calming down. I'm going to practice inhibiting this response. I'm going to practice emotional regulation. And it's so easy and it's not scary because you're actually, it's only a movie. It's only a book or it's only a, a TV series that you're watching. And the more you do it, the better you get at it. You're building neural pathways. You're creating hardware in your brain that will be there when you need it in a real situation. This is not dangerous and I'm okay. It's yeah. temporary. It's a movie. It's a TV show. It's the news. Yeah. I mean, last night I watched something on 60 Minutes that I was like, I, I need to be taken away on a stretcher. That said, it's still, no matter what you're dealing with, the key is to practice it and not to wait till you're in the middle of some exactly. of these crises to yeah. then do it. Yeah. Exactly. Okay. Well, I want to bring in our guest. Our guest is a terrific host, comedian, writer, and he is a regular on Wait, Wait, Don't Tell Me, where you can hear him. And you can hear him every day now on KABL Radio, KABL.com, anywhere in the world. And he has a daily show, Monday through Friday, 4 to 7. That's key. That's prime time. And that is Mr. Alonzo Bowden. Alonzo, there's a lot of talk about race. There's a lot of talk about mental health. 
And I say there's a lot of talk about it. I'm not sure anything has changed, but there is talk. What's your view on race and how to create a culture of diversity? Well, there, there's so much there, especially, you know, with any minority community, but particularly the black community, there's so much stress involved just living, whether it be the dealing with the police, as you well know, that there's, it's been measured that black people's stress increases when a police car is behind them, because you're not just worried about it getting a ticket, you're worried about does someone who looks like me do something that I could be arrested for? And when I say mm-hmm. looks like me, listen, I'm 6'3", 250, a guy Kevin Hart size could commit a crime and they'd be like, mm, that's close enough. You know, <laughs> yeah. you also have the cultural thing of you don't share your problems. You keep, keep your dirty laundry at home. You don't talk to other people about what's going on. There's that. There's the societal pressures, financial pressures. Uh, right now, they're trying to take away black people's rights to vote. Mm-hmm. You have all of that, right? Now, the good side is this is probably the first generation or the first time in where more and more black people are going to therapy and talking about mental health and dealing with it. A lot of athletes and celebrities are talking about it, right? Which opens up doors and makes it a little easier to do. So there, there is some progress in it. Then you also have the financial part. It costs money to have a therapist. Uh, your insurance may not cover it. You may not have insurance. So how do you go to a therapist or a psychologist or mm-hmm. whatever? There, there's a lot involved and race definitely plays a part. And this is a program, I think I may have shared this with you and I've talked about they're going to come on the show. There's a program that started out of Little Rock, Arkansas where they are training barbers into mental health advocates. I love that. Yeah. It's called the Confess Project, and it's all over the country now. Right, because the barbershop is a social gathering place in the black community. Mm-hmm. Not for me. I mean, I shave my head at home. but <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, you have a shaved head. That's right. Are you the kind of person who opens up about those things? Like, how do you, how do you take care of that stuff? And Well, see, I... You know, I'm 33 years sober, right? I've been in recovery for a long time. So that's where I learned about that. And that's where I learned to do that. Because one of the things, one of the big things in recovery is you find out you're not the only one. Uh, You hear other people talk about it, whether it be a mental problem, emotional problem, obviously to drinking and using, and it makes it easier for you to talk about it. You see all kind of people, you know, you know, alcoholism, addiction, it doesn't discriminate. It doesn't mm-hmm. care what color you are, how much money you have or whatever. So that has made it easier for me to talk about these issues and learn about these things. And, and you have a sponsor, I would imagine. Yeah, I ha- I've had a sponsor. Wow. How long? Daryl's been my sponsor for 23 years now. Wow. Wow. So a 23 year relationship. That's amazing. I feel like everybody needs a sponsor. <laughs> I, I feel like people actually need mentorship and sponsorship just in life. It's two different things. Like my brother works as a mentor. He's a, he's a techie and a businessman, and he mentors young people in, in that world. That is something, I mean, it's fantastic because he's teaching them what he's learned and he's he's helping them go forward, like build on the foundation of his generation. Like he told me in in the black community, he said, listen, we were brought up, we were told to go to school and get a good job, right? Because our parents didn't have that opportunity. They had to deal with segregation and poor education and 
stuff like that, right? So they wanted us to go to school and do better, which we have. We've done better than them, and they're very happy about it. And he said what they're teaching the next generation is own the business. Don't go to work for someone else. Go to work mm-hmm. for yourself. And that that's a another jump. So that kind of thing is mentorship. Sponsorship is somebody who has been through a particular experience, in my case, uh, addiction, who can help me with that. Like they, they're recovering from that and they're like, this is how I recovered from that. You know, a sponsor doesn't tell you everything about how to live your life. That, that's not how it works. They tell you how to deal with things sober and how to, u- how to use recovery and stay sober. Now, they may give you advice on things other things in life. But but I'll give you an example. And we were just joking about this. I have friends in recovery that I've known for over 20 years. I don't know what they do for a living. <laughs> right. So it is, it's a different relationship. Mm-hmm. I think in the treatment, I know in the treatment centers that they're trying to figure out, you know, a dual diagnosis and that insurance companies don't pay for this. They don't pay for the mental health part of it. But isn't mental health like a huge foundational part of addiction? Yeah, it's part of it. And, and it, is, it is difficult to figure out the ratio, you know, because one of the things is doctors, scientists, people much smarter than me, just still haven't figured out why certain people are addicts, right? They don't know that there's, you know, some say there's a gene, some say it's something in the brain, whatever. They don't know, right? And, and mental health is kind of the same thing. They're aware of it, but it's not an exact science. It's not like getting a cold or, or breaking your arm, you know? So insurance companies, let's face it, their whole job is to not pay for anything. Yeah. Their, their job is to collect your money and not give you anything. So they're going to fight it the whole way. And they're, so they're probably not the answer. Within recovery, people talk about mental health issues. People, some people have strong views about, uh, for instance, antidepressants or other medications. Whereas what I believe and what I've been taught, like, hey, I'm not a doctor, so I'm not here to tell you what to take or what not to take. If your doctor prescribes an antidepressant and it helps you, then go ahead and take it. I tried it for a minute, but it, it was I didn't like the side effects, so I didn't I didn't take them. But some people need them. And, and the tragedy that I've seen is people who need medication being told by people in recovery, you can't take that drug because it's it's a mental drug and people literally died because they didn't take their meds Hmm. what what about the whole aspect of higher power and how that fits into recovery i think that you know i think that there's people where the the church or the temple or wherever is is a big part of how people live and there's a lot of people that don't have that what have you found and how do you how do you relate that to people my my higher power here's here's the thing we we kind of have a saying that as long as you believe there's a higher power and as long as you know it's not you then whatever you believe in you know they they <laughs> talk society wise they talk about there's a spiritual movement going on and more people are looking for spirituality versus an organized religion I was raised in an organized religion, but there was, there's too many rules. I, it, it's not my thing. The whole thou shalt, thou shalt not, and the whole idea of an old man in the sky judging everything I do, I really don't want that to be my God. Now, it's tough because when you're raised with that, it's imprinted on your brain, right? So it's a hard thing to shake. 
I feel the most spiritually connected in creativity. When I'm doing something creative is when I feel it. Also, there's that connection of people relating to each other, people uh, recovering from the same issue, people having the same, you know, same problems or whatever and being able to talk. I think there's a connection to that. The big thing about recovery is we're not going to tell you what your higher power has to be. Some people use the fact that people in the room are already sober. So I'm just going to look to them because they've, they've conquered something I can't conquer. Other people do find their way back to a church or a synagogue or, you know, some other belief. And then others find a new belief and they, and that works for them. So again, it's just a matter of, of, and and this is just my opinion because I'm, there's, see, the great thing about recovery is none of us are right. No one is absolute. No one is in charge, but they were opinion that yet as a higher power and no, it's not me seems to work. Yeah, I love that part. I think what's central too, and a lot of what you're saying around addiction is that really the most powerful antidote or the most powerful force that can help with addiction is connection, right? So a lot of the newer research around addiction is, is supporting people and loving people and caring for them and not asking what's the addiction, but why? Well, yeah, the, the substance doesn't matter. The mm-hmm. substance doesn't matter because it's what's behind it. It's it's Absolutely. what's behind that desire. What like in my case, I didn't want to feel right. Yep. That was my thing. Mm-hmm. I didn't want to feel. Yep. So mm-hmm. it, it wasn't. I listen. I never was was out of cocaine and said no thanks. I'd rather not drink. I'll just look for more. No, that's not going to happen. So <laughs> it's right. the substance. We have substance. We have choices, right? We talk about it. Our drug of choice or whatever, but. It's it's escaping your reality. It's the yes. effect that you're going for. The pain that's behind it, right? That's right. It's the effect you're going for. I think many people, and I'm, of course, not me, but many people, I think suffer from addictive thinking. Mm-hmm. There is a way of thinking. And if you're a future thinker, if you're a crazy, you know, if you're worried constantly about things you have no control over, I mean, this is, you become addicted to this way of thinking. And, it, and I'm not comparing addictive thinking to alcoholism or drug, uh, you know, or, or drug addiction. It's a diff, you know, I'm not saying it's like that, but I'm saying starting with the way we think, that is a big issue in this world. Well, that's a big issue in addiction or in any kind of mental health. It's so difficult to live in the moment. You know, there's a belief that in any given moment, everything is okay, right? The power of now. But how Mm -hmm. difficult is it for most of us to stay perfectly centered and in the moment and not think about, worry about the future or guilt or whatever you carry from the past? You know, it's very difficult. But if you can center it, and again, getting back to recovery, that's why We always talk about one day at a time because 33 years ago, if you told me I had to stay sober for 33 years, I'd have got drunk that day because that's impossible. Yeah. But all they did was tell me, no, you just got to do today. Don't worry about it. Just do today. And then the days add up. Yeah. Yep. That's part of staying there. We we call it standing in the canoe, right? You're always wobbling. You're always tipping, but you do whatever you can to get back to the center. Great analogy. Yeah. Yeah. Standing in a Canoe. I love that. That's the title of your book, uh, Jennifer. <laughs> That'll be the next book for sure. Now, on radio, are you, are, is it a call-in show? 
Yeah, it's it's talk radio. So, but it's not crazy right wing yelling conspiracy talk radio. It's it's progressive talk. So it's it's left leaning because I am. We talk a lot about black issues. I mean, it's the only black owned radio state talk radio station west of the Mississippi. And it also gives a voice to a lot of people who didn't have a voice in talk radio. So I love when people call in and talk. I also do interviews. And, you know, anytime I can talk to someone interesting, I I will take the chance. And we, we give a voice to the community. It's really exciting. There's nothing like that energy of really connecting with people live who are listening to you at that time. There's a, you know, podcasting is huge, but it's not talk radio. And talk radio was hijacked by conservative people, you know, ultra conservative people, because they got great ratings and they caused the uh, fight or flight kind of, you know, anger in people and stirred that up and it becomes addictive and you listen to it. But this is great to hear. And I can't wait to, uh, to start listening to your, to your show too. And when you're talking to somebody and you find yourself, you know, getting angry, feeling angry, how do you keep that in check? I try not to. Um, I don't get angry too often. It depends on what they are. Like I have a saying like now, like I don't argue with racists over 40, you know, because you're not going to change your mind. <laughs> yeah, and, yeah, and there's no, no sense wasting energy <laughs> on that. You you have these crazy conspiracy theorists like, listen, if you believe that the vaccine is going to make you magnetic, don't take the vaccine. I, I There's no way I can argue with that sort of thing. So I actually do pretty good with letting go of anger uh, because I came in with a lot of, a lot of anger issues. So I had to work on them. My sense of humor is a great way to vent anger Physical exercise at times was a way when I was just angry, you know, carrying a lot of anger and stress, physical exercise helped. So there's ways to deal with it. So when I get mad at somebody, I try, I I don't know, I have to let it go eventually because there's nothing I can do about it, right? You can't, you know, listen, if we were allowed to hit people with sticks, there'd be a lot of people getting hit with sticks, but society frowns on that sort of thing. There's a great quote about anger, which is anger is like a poison that when you drink it, you hope someone else dies from it. I mean, anger, when you carry it around, really just becomes a poison and a toxin for you. And you're right. Everyone's on their own journey. The the best thing sometimes to do is to look at someone who has, you know, really terrible beliefs, really negative beliefs, and just feel sorry for them. How angry they must be, how terrible their lives must be. Happy, healthy together people don't need to hate other people. That's just the truth. Well, if you look, you know, in our society right now, right, if you look at the angry right wing, if you look at the Trump followers, it's like, what are you so angry about? You know, I was just reading a thing about somebody saying they escaped communist California. It's like, what is (laughs) communist about California? Have you been to a communist nation? No, You've, you've never been anywhere it's the dumbest thing. Yeah, it is sad that they carry around that much anger. But on the other hand, to quote my friend Matt out of uh, Vegas, he's a great comic. Listen, I got my own problems. I can't help you. If you if you think California is a communist country, I can't help you. Be mad. Yeah. And just yeah. yell and scream. The you only problem is they get yeah. their guns and they start shooting everybody. But- That's the problem. Yeah, that is the problem. And, and you know, what I rarely hear talked about 
with these people who react in that way, the violently, violently react, whether, and, and you can violently react on social media too, or you can violently react uh, physically, is that they have a mental health issue. There is an issue with the, with the way people are dealing with what's going on inside their heads. That is an issue. And I have a feeling that these kinds of things are going to keep happening until we start dealing with those issues as a community, as a nation, as a world. So I, I wonder, Jennifer, if you can speak to that, because when I hear about racism, mm -hmm. listen, I'm a white Jew who, uh, you know, uh, Alonzo, you'll never get arrested because I did something. Um, <laughs> but 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 I will arrest myself because I may be thinking I'm doing something. So yeah. Jennifer, can you speak to like mental health and, and, and how? Absolutely. I mean, it, it's, it's interesting because my, my, you know, real practice is parenting. And so I'm out there really trying to help parents raise good human beings. Honestly, that's really what it comes down to. And that if you are feeling loved and you know how to give love and you have control in a good way, understanding that you don't control, you, you can control your feelings instead of your feelings controlling you and you raise your children in this way, you're going to have nicer people on the planet. Most terrible thinking and angry, all of it, it's just sad. And it's people who are in pain. It's people who are scared. It's people who are not well in a lot of ways. And it's not just in the United States. Look around. Like the, There's so many worries on the whole planet. And I get overwhelmed. But my work is, you know what, if I can help one family at a time raise more and more nice humans, good people who just in their heart know what's right and what's wrong. And children do. Children are not racist. They're, they're taught to be that way. Babies, little toddlers, they don't care. They just know love. They just see people. We have taught each other how to hate. That's a tragedy and we've got to reverse it. We have to. All of us have to. I feel like the community is a big, you know, when I hear about projects like the Confess Project, where they're training barbers how to be mental health advocates. If you have to go to somebody's office or you have to pay a lot of money to get therapy, it's not going to happen. So you really need to install people in everyday life that have some skills uh, and that can help people not feel so alone, not feel so crazy, have some interaction with people who are not in communities where these things are available. That's true. What's your take on it, Alonzo? As Jennifer said, the, the thing with kids is so true. I mean, I had that experience. I was bused to white schools. I joke about it. I was bused to white schools before it was an issue. But it, but it absolutely made a difference, me growing up around white kids, because we knew each other as kids. So the, so the whole racism thing, it came later in life. The separation comes later in life. And that is why, unfortunately, that's why so many parents fight against busing. The, they, they don't want their kids to see the reality that that black kid, that that Latin kid, that Asian kid or whatever is normal, is just like you, just another kid. Yeah. The parents yeah. actually consciously don't want it. We're dealing with that now with critical race theory. It's fascinating mm -hmm. to me how many Republicans, you know, and, and government people are like, no, we don't want them to have education. We don't want them to have information. It's, it, that's fascinating to me mm -hmm. why you wouldn't want your kid to have that. As far as having someone to talk to who is not an expensive professional. Well, let, let's jump back to these angry people, the, the, the shooters and the, the militia people and all that. They don't want to get better. 
they they don't want to get better. They don't want to break out of this. You know, they don't know there's anything wrong. To them, they're comfortable with. They hold on to it, right? They, you know, I I joke about it all the time. White supremacists are the least supreme white people you will ever meet. You know, <laughs> yeah, yeah, <laughs> right. The opposite, yeah. You can't crack that because that's a circle they're in. Now, it does happen with other races, but it happens not so much intentionally as by circumstance where where you're in this neighborhood that you can't get out of for financial reasons, et cetera, et cetera. So you're also in a bubble, unfortunately. You know, um, we mm-hmm. went through the, a lot of that during the gang era, during the big gang era in the 80s and 90s, where I talked to some of these kids. They had a soldier mentality and they were like... Mm-hmm. They didn't plan to live past 21, 22. They, they expected to get shot and die. That's another, that's hard to talk to. That's hard yeah. to talk to. Um, but that was what they lived. That was their reality. My brother got killed, you know, by this gangbanger. So I got to kill someone in that gang and then they're going to kill someone in my, like that was the, the way they thought, man. That, I don't, you know, those kind of cycles are so hard to, to crack and so hard to change. Yeah. Hate is addictive. You know, that's another thing. Well, it's also easy. It's easy. It's easy. It is easy. Yeah. Right. You know, Jennifer, you speak about this all the time about what the oxy, what's flowing to people's brains, what kind of chemicals they're getting. Mm-hmm. They're getting a chemical payoff from yeah. their hatred, right? There's dopamine and cortisol, and it's just round and round in this cycle. Right. And it's, um, there is definitely an addictive quality to it, but you're not going to, it's so true. It's, I don't mean to sound like there's no hope, but when someone's that stuck, when they're that afraid, they're, they're, that mentality, you're not going to change them. You have to change really what it comes down to is work at the end of the day, being the best human being you can be in that circumstance and try to spread that out, put your hand out and help somebody else. They're so stuck. They can't see it. And they think they're the good guy. That's the hard part. Let's go to your dog, uh, Hulk, because (laughs) Hulk doesn't have any of that and probably sleeping right now. Do you actually feel you pick up the feelings of of the dog when the dog is at rest? I would rather hang out with him than go anywhere. I get that. Yeah, I definitely pick it up when he when we're just sitting there and he doesn't have to be doing anything. Sometimes he's just sleeping and it's just relaxing. So do I pick up the feeling? Absolutely. Would you take him into the studio with you? When he gets older and he's better trained, because he's still a puppy, right? He's seven months old. So he still has that excitement at seeing something new, mm-hmm. wanting to jump around, sniff, investigate and all. And that's just part of being a puppy. I mean, he is well trained, but you can't train puppy out of a puppy. But as a, if he were an adult, more relaxed dog, Absolutely. People who have those dogs trained that can go. And this is another thing. I think that's an important part of it. Have your dog trained. There's nothing worse than the fake service dogs running around restaurants and and grocery stores and all of that. And it's like it's not cute. And your dog isn't a service dog. That's annoying. That's annoying because that takes away from people who really do need a service animal. They can't bring it because you think your pocket puppy belongs on the table in a Starbucks. Well, that's why I've started wearing a vest, because I'm a service (laughs) person. 
you know, I can I can sit in somebody's lap if I need to. Yeah, your your emotional support ostrich might not be welcome. <laughs> <laughs> and I, I I've had that because I put my head in the sand many times. You know, I wonder what dogs think about a dog's journey in those movies. I wonder if they feel exploited. If they're watching and they're just because they're not thinking, but they say, but they say this is not real. Before I let you go, I have to ask you about Wait, Wait, Don't Tell Me a little bit, because it's such a great show and you've been doing it for a long time. What is that whole setup like? What's that experience like? My first episode of Wait, Wait, I was very lucky in that I had no idea what the show was and didn't know anything about it. Because I didn't, you talk about staying in the moment, that stopped me from being nervous. I didn't know anything about it. I just walked in Mm -hmm. and and did it. Like to me, it was just doing a panel show. So that was great because I wasn't nervous. It is so much fun. It is more important to be funny than to be right. Uh, We talk about everything in the news, which is why every week I don't know what the questions are going to be or what topics they're going to be. I just know there'll be at least one that I know nothing about. Mm -hmm. It's a fun show to do. Yeah, it's a blast to listen to. It's so well done. And I know Paula pretty well. And, you know, some of the, the, the people they have on and the host is great. And, you know, it's a, it's a format that's been working for 25 years. Yeah, He's the perfect host for the show. He really is. He, yeah. he gets it and he fits perfectly. So, yeah, he's great for the show. And that makes it work. Tell everybody where they can find everything. Tell them where they can find the show, the radio show, daily show, and how they how they find it. The radio show is KBLA 1580. If you go to KBLA1580.com or download the KBLA 1580 app, you can listen anywhere. It's broadcast in Los Angeles, but you can listen to it anywhere through the website or the app. Everything I do is at alonzoboden.com, A-L-O-N-Z-O-B-O-D-D-E-N.com. It's connected to my social media, my radio show, my old podcast episodes, etc. And the only thing that doesn't use my name is Instagram, which uses ZoFunny, Z-O-F-U-N-N-Y. Some guy tried to take my name and he wanted me to pay him for it. And uh, yeah, that didn't work out too well for him. Uh, he's been... <laughs> reading the internet, which tells people I'm worth millions and millions of dollars. Everybody in entertainment wishes they were worth as much money as the internet says. There's like this site, <laughs> yeah. what is your net worth, that, that always pops yeah. up and it's like, wow, where'd that money go? So It's, fan- it's fantastic. Yeah, I know. That's a great <laughs> site. Yeah, yeah, they're projecting. But it's been a pleasure talking to you. I really appreciate you taking the Thank time. Thank you so much. What an important conversation. Thank you. Thank you. I wish we had more time. And, you know, mental health is real and it's something real, real to be worked on. If if we could ever get rid of the stigma attached to it, it would be phenomenal. So you guys are doing a great job. Thank you. Thank you. Pleasure. All right. We'll talk. You'll come again. You'll come again, please. Absolutely. Alonzo Bowden. Wow. That's our show for this week. Thanks for listening. You can find us wherever you get your podcasts or at makelightmedia.com, M-A-K-E-L-I-G-H-T, media.com. You can find Jennifer's work, her amazing work, all the services, all the classes, all the podcasts at connectedparenting.com, connectedparenting.com. Listen to Alonzo Bowden, 4 to 7 Pacific time on KBLA Radio, 
or go to alonzoboden.com for all of his uh, information, all the things he's doing. We want to see you very soon. We'll see you, in fact, next week. Keep coming back at Works If You Work It. I'm Ed Krasnick for Jennifer Kalari. We'll see you next time.